Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything Remus. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, our personal favorite aspect of the show, the tastings. And of course, with me as always is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleshik. Andy, how are you doing on this fine Saturday afternoon? I can't complain. It's been a good Saturday here. All beautiful weather and everything so far Absolutely. today. Yeah, so far we're finally starting to get some warm weather here, and you know the right there on the border between Cincinnati, or between Ohio and Kentucky here in Cincinnati, kind of really the epicenter for you know a lot of bourbon. If you think you're know, at least right near the epicenter, and definitely the epicenter of bootlegging, which we're going to get to oh, yeah. a little bit later in the show. A wink, Huge wink, bootlegging nudge, nudge. epicenter for some. right. Absolutely. So we're really excited about it. Uh, of course, you know, it, this is a very, in a way, this is a very Cincinnati uh, focused episode. We just had a, yeah. what is probably even bigger than Christmas here in Cincinnati opening, opening day, day. Uh, which of course it's been a little different with COVID and everything going on, uh, but still got a pretty big crowd despite there being snow on the ground for Literally opening day. snowing that morning. Yeah. To quote, I, I had a 10 minute work call. I remember I had a 10 minute work call and during that it looked like a straight that entire 10 minutes looked like a straight blizzard outside. Yeah, we woke up to snow. (laughs) It snowed during the day. uh, And as my friend Rick at work said... Uh, God is not a Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, no. he, you know, he's he, everyone, everyone in not Cincinnati, a Cincinnati sports fan in general, I right? <laughs> Especially the Reds as of late. Uh, you know, it's funny. You literally, are, you know, you are getting ready. All the Cincinnati fans are all excited for opening day. And God says, good luck with that. Just dumps yeah. several inches of snow on us. Gotta, and of course they get destroyed by the Cardinals because yeah. they are a Cincinnati Since sports team. So, uh, of course, uh, well, we, well, you know, but like I said, this is a very Cincinnati theme. We're really a theme themed episode. Uh, we're really excited about it. Um, despite the Reds, we got to be excited about something. But of course, Cincinnati sports and, and and sports in general is why God invented bourbon, or why hel- God helped men invent bourbon. So we have yeah. something to drink, uh, and we definitely need to drown our sorrows here in Cincinnati, as uh, many people apparently did back during Prohibition. So Andy, why don't we just jump right on in and tell everyone everything they need to know about not just George Remus, the king of bootleggers bourbon, but also George Remus, the man, the myth, and the legend. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, George Remus, so again, he's another one of those guys that back in the 1800s immigrated to the United States uh, from Germany. Um, He was born, he was about five years old when that happened, and ended up settling in, I think, Chicago around 1885. About three years after he and his family immigrated to the U.S. Um, and, of course, you know, his big claim to fame there in Chicago, or one of his big claims to fame in Chicago, at least, was he uh, ended up living there his entire life, up until at least up until the point he graduated from uh, UChicago, their college of pharmacy, and then later their law school, um, all by the age of 24. So already very, very well uh, esteemed or very successful by that point in his life. Um, sharp, sharp kid. Yeah, yeah, very, very sharp. Um, and of course, after graduating law school, he started his professional life as a criminal defense lawyer, attorney, um, and actually pioneered or helped to pioneer the... Um, well, at the time, 
what was the tra- called the transitory insanity defense, or as we now know it, temporary insanity defense, um, which is really, really just strange defense when I looked that up. Just kind of like a really strange way to claim insanity, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a way to make money for him. Um, but, of course, you know, very early on in his career after that, he realized that around the time of Prohibition, actually, when that came down, a lot of the people that he was defending, um, they were actually getting really, really insanely wealthy off bootlegging bourbon and mm-hmm. other spirits during um, Prohibition. So Absolutely. Yeah. Lots so, of money to be made. Yeah. A lot, at, at that time, at least a lot of money to be made doing that illegally. So anyone out there who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend the TV show by HBO, Boardwalk Empire. It kind of really out. He makes it, an appearance. Yeah, he, or an actor portraying him makes an appearance. Of course. Yeah. He, there's a, there is a George, George Remus is portrayed in the, in the show. And, and you the, see just kind of the inner workings of bootlegging and, and um, the, you know, the, really the rise of organized crime in general during Prohibition. Um, they passed the Volstagg Act, and as uh, Nucky Thompson in the show said, like here's to those beautiful bastards. Because anyone who thought whiskey alcohol was not going to be consumed because they made it illegal was out of their mind. There was <laughs> yeah. even medicinal purposes for it, as we discussed on some <laughs> yeah. of the previous episodes. And the, banning a substance has never ever in the history of the world prevented not people really from me. using that yeah. substance, whether it's alcohol, marijuana, really anything. Never so, 100% effective. And of course, well, all it did was make a lot of people like George Remus very, very corrupt, very, 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 uh, very engaged engage in a lot of crimes and, and made them a lot of coin. Yeah. So, and it was something that, you know, of course, despite him, as a lawyer at least, despite making what is now the equivalent of like just under $6.4 million dollars, uh, I think at that time it was like five hundred thousand or something like that. Um, but you know, six point four million dollars in today's money as a lawyer, he found that you know what I can make even more money bootlegging stuff. Yeah, he can. <laughs> and you, no matter where you are, and no matter your station in life, Andy, you can always have high aspirations, big yeah. goals. You can always dream for more. Yeah, even if that means breaking a lot of laws in the process. Oh, of course. And it was something you know. Originally, he started out with some very, very good intentions. Or at least as the law deemed it, good intentions. Um, you know, produce, actually producing liquor under the Volstead Act. And, you know, under those loopholes that it has. But um, for you know, the medicinal purposes. And then sell, trying to sell through his pharmacies. And he almost forgot. Cheers, yeah. Salute. For going further. Um, but of course, he found loopholes to where he would then, quote unquote, st- Deal <laughs> the bur- the bourbons, um, all the whiskey he was making, or at least have his employees, you know, quote unquote, steal it. Um, <laughs> you know, stop all the stop all the shipments, steal the bourbon, and then would end end up selling it illegally. Um, so we're obviously big fans of George Remus because um, I, I don't know if, if we're getting to the point he does eventually end up in the Cincinnati area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, at some point, I think a few years into his bourbon-making bootlegging uh, time, he does move to Cincinnati, at least for a time. Okay. Um, because, and, and people, a lot of people don't realize this, especially back in the 1920s, Cincinnati was really a major hub, just not for, for bourbon, but yeah, for, for like a you said. A lot of trade, because we're right here on the Ohio and, River. Yep. And just really, you know, a lot of trade between New York and Chicago went through 
uh, Cincinnati, and, and yeah. it was just really like kind of an epicenter of, of trade yeah. and commerce and things like that, which a lot of people really don't know about. For a while, it was a very uh, well-to-do, rich, uh, you know, well-off city where there was a lot of hustle and bustle, and that just George Remus knew that he could take advantage of it and make a lot of money. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was a smart businessman for the time. Um, you know, realized that he could make a lot because I mean, this was long, you know, long big hub as you said along the Ohio River to then, as you're making your way either to the Mississippi River or from the Mississippi River to the East Coast. But uh, as we kind of said, moved to Cincinnati. I don't remember when. I like right at the start of the or mid 1930s or 40s, something like that. I want to say, but I don't remember exactly. Um, but of course, being so wealthy for the time, he ended up buying uh, most of the manufacturers um, in this area and ended up contributing through them about one-seventh of all the bonded liquor being sold in the U.S. <laughs> um, coming out of bonded warehouses and everything. Wow. And he actually owned... At least in part or in whole, some of the most famous um, distilleries in the U.S. One yeah. of which, another one that we discussed in our uh, Magnolia Bourbon episode a c- few weeks ago, uh, Fleischmann Distillery here in Cincinnati. Right. Uh, so just another one of those. Remus moved to, uh, I don't know the exact year he moved to, but he did move to Cincinnati where he said they say 80% of America's bonded whiskey was located within 300-mile radius. Oh, he yeah. bought up most of those, like you said, those whiskey manufacturers. So he just saw this one location is really going to put he me saw pretty an opportunity. much in the radius of most of the whiskey in the world or in the country. Uh, this seems like the perfect spot to be. Yeah. Now he lived on... Uh, as far as I know, he lived on the west side. We're not going to hold that against him for as of now. Can't but, hold anything uh, against him for that. But right uh, now, yeah, but. he uh, had a, ma- a nice mansion over there. Uh, <laughs> we're sure yeah. Andy's going to expound a little bit further on some of his uh, peccadillos he got into. Oh yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, yeah, so he he lived. I think a lot of his life in Cincinnati um, instead of Chicago or anything. At least most of his adult life, working and everything. He made over $40 million and had over 3,000 people working for him at one point. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane that he got it that much. Is that $40 million in t- today's money? I would assume so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, during this time, he, he actually had somewhere up in the... Um, I forget where. But it was like it, one distillery here in Cincinnati where he... Um, it was like his main bootlegging operation. It's just like crazy the way they had it set up. It was like everything was run down like what looked basically like a well, but was just this giant shaft leading out to that. So like basically a waiting car that you could shoot bottles and everything through or transport bottles and everything through kind of this shaft to the cars to then ship out. Um, and never, I don't think at that location never ended up getting found there. Um, Oh, wow. During his time of bootlegging. Of course, though, it all ended up um, in shambles. He did end up getting caught. Um, Shocker. (laughs) Yeah. As most gangsters from that era did, whether it was for bootlegging. I don't know exactly what he was. Tax evasion in the case of Al Capone. Other stuff. All these characters. Of course, in Boardwalk Empire, which, again, I can't recommend enough. Um, But, yeah, they're always... The FBI, man, they're, they're hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's caught up to him eventually there. Um, so I ended up getting prosecuted for uh, bootlegging. I think ended up getting off on the bootlegging piece of it. But then 
or maybe got a very, very reduced sentence for the bootlegging because of a whole bunch of stuff. Like the jury, he basically paid off the jury. I think. Um, I think there. Was, <laughs> I, th- I think there was an, like an oversimplified. I think he's actually all of that's mentioned in like an an episode of uh, oversimplified history on prohibition. Okay. Um, does a good job of doing like a high level overview of it. What he did there. Gotcha. But then ended up once he got out. Uh, had some marital problems because his <laughs> wife uh, ended up claiming all the estate and everything, or a lot of the estate, in a divorce. Um, and I think married somebody else, and he ended up using the very same defense, he that temporary insanity defense, um, and after the divorce, or while she was trying to divorce him, um, and when she was trying to divorce him and marry a new man uh, used that defense after he openly in broad daylight shot her in the middle of Eden park or what is now Eden park in Cincinnati. Um, Lovely. <laughs> yeah. I believe he actually married her in Covington or I shouldn't say Newport, Kentucky, which is just, you know, that just shows don't get engaged. Don't get married in Newport or Covington, yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably a bad sign. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, and actually for that, he was pro I think for that, at least he was prosecuted by, the um, son of another famous person coming out of Cincinnati, uh, William Howard Taft, <laughs> who Taft's Ale Hall. For anybody here in Cincinnati, that's who that's okay. named after. Um, of course, like we've mentioned all throughout the podcast, spent most of his time in Cincinnati or right across the river in what is now Newport and Covington, Kentucky, uh, where he helped create Death Valley Farm. And this was that bootlegging operation that I was mentioned earlier. Um, right, which is reportedly, I could not find any solid confirmation of this. Um, one of the only Cincinnati bootlegging operations not busted up That's by crazy. the feds. <laughs> yeah, the out the outside actually thought the outside world only thought it was accessible by dirt road. The actual yeah. distillery was located at two six five six Queen City Avenue. They say that the liquor was distilled in the attic of one of the facilities there, and then was dumb waitered down. Below, they said there was a trap door located in the basement, which was the entrance to the tunnel with a waiting car, which usually made it safely away. Um, it believes, yeah, like you said, it was one of the only locations never busted in the Cincinnati area, yeah. which is insane. <clears throat> I mean, you got to go to great lengths to sit there and avoid the feds doing stuff like that. So clearly, it paid out uh, up until he got caught. At least, um, he ended up, I think, getting out of prison um, a few years later. Ended up dying in Covington, Kentucky. About 1950. Um, of course, he um, has a lot of um, film and media portrayals. As you were mentioning, of course, famous for Boardwalk Empire being portrayed there. Um, as well as a few other TV shows and novels he was um, you know, portrayed in or written about in. And it also reportedly the inspiration for The Great Gatsby. Oh wow! Which, if that's the case, again, you're an OG. If that's the, you know, if that's the um, case. All right, um, and it's something that you know. He distilled a lot of different um, brands under his name, mo- or under his distilling operations. Um, I think all under the George Remus bourbon brand and name. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you discuss him being arrested at all? A little bit, yeah. Because gotcha. he, 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 he did, of course, end up in, in prison for a little while there. Yeah. 
Ooh. Was in prison for a bit. It's been a couple years in Atlanta Federal Penitentiary for, for bootlegging. They said he was indicted for thousands of violations of the Volstead oh, yeah. Act. Woo, thousands. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, his, his lawyering skills worked well up until that point. <laughs> yeah. They say while he was in prison, uh, he befriended another inmate who eventually confided in, who he confided in that his wife had control of all of his money. And the inmate was an undercover prohibition agent, but the agent uh, didn't actually uh, report that information to the feds. He uh, resigned his post and actually had an affair with but, Remus's. Yeah, and that, that's who... That where that was part of what led, I think, to him killing his wife. Exactly. Yeah. Once he got out of prison and everything, and he realized that what they had done, they had stolen his money. Yeah. Um, Holmes and Dodge attempted to deport Remus and even hired a hitman to murder him for fifteen thousand dollars. The would-be assassin didn't follow through because he feared being double-crossed and told Remus about the plot instead. Yeah. 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 Of course, that is exactly why he murdered his wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would be a tough thing to take. Uh, probably a good reason to use a temporary insanity defense. Right. Um, yeah, it said uh, he actually, um, Remus had his driver chase the cab carrying Holmes uh, and her daughter through Eden Park in Cincinnati, finally forcing it off the road. Remus then jumped out and fatally shot uh, Imogene in the abdomen in front of the Springhouse gazebo to the horror of all park onlookers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this dude, like this dude loved law when it benefited him. But did not care otherwise about it, seemed like. <laughs> yeah, he didn't seem to like following the laws for someone who was a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so what is modern day Remus looking like? Y- yeah, so modern day um, is now a brand owned and produced by uh, MGP. Um, it was produced or is bought out, bought by MGP f- from Queen City Whiskey Company back about five years ago in 2016. Um, I want to say November-ish of 2016. Um, usually produced around 93.894 proof uh, with two different, I think two different MGP or specific MGP mash bills. Um, okay. A 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 malted barley mash bill or a 60 corn, 36 rye, 4 malted barley uh, mash bill. Non-age statemented, but usually I think based on what MGP says, usually about a five-year minimum age on it. Um, and then they have, you know, of course, they're producing a few different bourbons now, one of which we'll be trying today. Uh, the Remus Trait Bourbon, which is the one we'll be trying. Uh, also a limited edition uh, Remus Repeal Reserve bourbon and a one-time release of the Volstead Reserve bourbon from them. Um, which I forget when that one was produced, but those are the three primary bourbons under this label. Right. Which I think brings us to our favorite part of this episode of all episodes. Yeah. Last time, last thing I want to say, Remus was absolutely a G. Uh, he was one of the original gangsters and he was really incredible at what he did. Um, and was clearly a bold SOB willing yeah. to just gun down his wife in Eden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just because, well, I mean, I get why he did it. Well, not, you know, I, I get why he was upset. Not um, something I do. Of but. course. No, no. I mean, if you're, you're living in that world, that's one of the things Boardwalk Empire really well portrays is how far, you know, these people were, a lot of them were businessmen or lawyers before prohibition and they actually became gangsters and murderers and thugs 
in a sense mm-hmm. once prohibition actually became a thing. So um, yeah, it was kind of crazy to see all that happen. But I will say, even though I do really look up to him a lot of ways, yeah, he did refer to himself in the third person very frequently, a lot. and that's a big problem, of course. Yeah. Uh, George uh, John Prophet does not like George Remus uh, talking <laughs> about himself that way. <laughs> a man does not talk about himself in the third person. Exactly. <laughs> all right, folks, pour yourself a glass of George Remus, King of the Bootleggers, straight bourbon whiskey, and we're going to go ahead and dive into the tastings. All right, folks, time for the tasting of the George Remus bourbon. Of course, as always, we're going to go ahead and start with the nose. Fairly flat nose for me. Kind of leathery or oaky. Yeah. Stand, standard MGP smell to me. Yeah, it's a, I gotta, I'm getting a lot of dark oakiness to it. I'm getting some dark fruit. Real light and some real... Like a like, faint... Like a, like a yeah, like a faint fruit now. Yeah. Like a darker... Yeah. Get a little sweetness to it, but it's really, there's not much there. Yeah. It just, like you said, pretty standard flat. Yeah. Well, only get a Which bit. Which is not necessarily bad. No, not a, but... no, no, not a bad thing at all. It's actually grown on me a lot. Uh, I opened this bottle a few months ago, and I've actually, I'm enjo- a lot of times I like whiskeys more, like the first few glasses I've had of them, and then sometimes they fade for me, and yeah. sometimes you get the exact opposite effect. This is definitely one for me where it's actually improving as I drink it more. Yeah. You know, as I've drank it more over time. Yeah. Let's give it a taste. What are you getting? Uh, for me, I get a lot, again, a lot of that leather, oaky, kind of a little bit almost like a worn-in leather note, though. Maybe a little bit of, like peanut nuttiness in there i'm getting that i'm getting the oakiness and the leatheriness a lot in both the palate and the finish um i'm also getting a little bit of that cherry kind of dark uh fruit in the taste as well but i'm getting more oak and like leatheriness like you say a little bit of like rye type spice um hangs out on the tongue for a while i would say oh yeah it sticks around around. not sharp on the on the throat um Solid, I mean, especially for the price range, solid bourbon. It doesn't really, it's not flashy, doesn't jump out of you in any yeah. really way, shape, or form. Um, but it's high quality. I think yeah. maybe for the price, it's not quite what I would uh, be looking for. How much did it cost you? Um, I'm not actually positive. I want to say retail. Let's see. I think retail was like $40, a little bit over, yeah. like before tax. So, I think I mean, there's it's better not ones cheap. in that price range. Exactly. At least in flavor wise. I 100% agree, but it is still a very yeah. high quality bourbon. That's going to be, you know, it's going to be str- a strong quality Maybe. over the entire length of the bot of the bottle. Uh, really, I don't have any complaints. Yeah. Um, I just, it's not one that really jumps out at me, but uh, nice to show that, the, you know, they're yeah. kind of at least have bourbons that are going to hang in with other level ones. I think oh, yeah. they maybe just price it a little too high. Yeah, no, I only I'd agree with you. We'll have Might to get be the, a good the special repeal. One. Oh, I agree absolutely. Uh, the special repeal one—that's that, that's a whiskey that of theirs. I think you discussed the uh, yeah. Remus Repeal Reserve. We're gonna have to try to get our hands on that. I could have. I wasn't gonna buy eighty-five. Spend eighty-five dollars yeah. on a Remus bottle uh, when there's so many other options out there um, at that price too. That exactly, which is kind of what you're seeing with across their their whole slate of of whiskeys. Um, but again, not you know very high quality. Yeah. 
All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you can subscribe, leave a review, and listen to every episode of Distilled Discussions. Uh, Make sure you guys have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry, America, we'll be here to drink with you next week.